0: Well, hello there, lucky listener. I am Fiona, a.k.a. Dr. Radness. And I am Peter, also known as Dr.
1: Greenfield.
0: And And together, we are are the Partial partial Historians. historians. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We've got a special edition, a nice little short pocket-sized edition for you today. Slip it into your pocket, take it away for later. That's right. Normally, we are tracing the history of Rome from the founding of the city. Yes, but
1: we're taking a special stop in this episode to consider, uh, in a little more detail, uh, the life and times of one of uh, the fabulous female figures from Mm. Roman history,
0: no other than Livia Drusilla. Could there be any more fabulous person in the history of Rome, as far as females are concerned? I mean, your question is probably yes. Well, I figure that since you must you're a massive fan of Augustus, Dr. G, that uh, you must also be a fan of Livia.
1: Look, I'm not going to deny Augustus is my homeboy crush of the ancient past, <laughs> and Livia is my most severe rival. Ah, true. I didn't think of that. The rivalry. Oh, the rivalry. <laughs> So we're going to couple, cover a few things mm. today. We're going to start with the present, thinking mm. about Livia in the popular imagination. Yes. Because she has quite a reputation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to like dial it back and start to delve into how did this popular understanding of Livia come about? And we'll get further
0: and further towards the ancient source material as we go. Yes, Absolutely. So, um, we have talked about ancient Rome in the popular imagination and I'm talking more about like, TV and film and that sort of thing at this point in time before. But um, generally when we talk about that, there are a few periods that tend to be focused on and to be honest, although it is Julio-Claudian in nature, um, it does tend to be on particular emperors like Caligula and Nero because, let's face it, they're crazy. <laughs> they're, they are the naughty ones. Yes. that's right. <laughs> um, so people can, I suppose, have a bit more fun with them. So Quo for example, most notoriously, Nero, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Which means that we don't often get a lot of screen time with Livia because she was the empress um, and, therefore, the wife, in case you don't put two and two together, of the first emperor i'm using flesh rabbits or perhaps more accurately the first princeps of rome augustus sometimes known (laughs) as (laughs) Octavian we'll refer to him as both depending
1: on how we need to yeah in this episode so Livia comes to us in the popular imagination most profoundly in Mm. the BBC television series from the 70s yeah
0: I Claudius yeah this is still a fan favorite so yeah this is really the main thing that people might know Livia from because she was a pretty dominating presence in that TV series and to be honest I am a history teacher, in case you haven't guessed, dear listeners. And I still use this in my classroom because it so sums up some of the ancient source material about her and her family. Um, It still really stands the test of time, even though it's a bit stagey. It's, it is a very
1: impressive series, yeah. uh, but Livia does not cop a good rap, I think it is pretty fair
0: to say, from yeah. the I, Claudius
1: production. Well, that's just
0: it. The thing that I think makes Livia in this particular series so notable is how she's she's imperious, but evil. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just so <laughs> Fair enough. I think,
1: I think it's totally warranted. Yeah. So Livia in I Claudius is portrayed by the actress sean Phillips. Yes. And this is still considered to be her standout role for many people because it's the only one they remember. <laughs> uh, she's eighty-four um, now. <laughs> she's done a lot of other yeah. work. Uh, but I came across this article from the Daily Mail,
0: which was mm. sort of recapping on Phillips's career. Yes. Livia
1: is described as the wicked witch of Rome.
0: Yeah. I I think I think that's definitely sums her up. I mean, I Claudius. For those of you who haven't seen it, I mean, how could you not be up up to scratch with your nineteen seventies BBC production? Where it's where
1: you've been. At. I know. What are
0: you doing on the weekends? Um, but yeah, basically, I Claudius is an adaptation of a pretty famous novel um, set in ancient Rome, written by Robert Graves. And it is the reason why it's called I Claudius is because it is meant to be both a novel and a TV series told from the point of view of Claudius. Yeah,
1: so Claudius, the Emperor Claudius ends up being the main narrator yes. of
0: the story. So this
1: is his retelling of the history of his own life yes. and his own rule. And Livia figures very largely in this because she is such uh, a spectral of an evil figure as far as Claudius' interpretation is concerned. Yeah, and I
0: think we can see why because the ancient source material, I don't think that Livia and Claudius had a particularly close relationship even though she was his grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not sure if she's the sort
1: of person you could get really close to. And certainly not according to this adaptation. She's described as having a viperish glee. She hisses and swishes through the Imperial Palace and she leaves corpses in her wake.
0: Yeah. And not
1: only that, uh, she's accused in I, Claudius of having poisoned Augustus himself, her very own husband. Yeah. Uh, before Which it, it he is could... in the
0: ancient sources, to be fair. But yeah. <laughs> Look, it's, I'm going to argue otherwise. Yeah, as we no, get no I mean, I'm down just saying. Track. I'm just saying it doesn't come out of nowhere. <laughs> but yeah, she is. She she is completely evil and completely dominating in this series. But but you know what? She's also a figure of respect. Some of the other female figures in this series are. It's all about the sex, you know. Mm. And there, there, like some of them are a bit of a mixture, like sex and politics. But Livia, I think you really get the idea that she's all about the politics. Even if that does occasionally involve, like, getting married to Augustus or something, she's she's far more political, I think, than any other female figure in the series.
1: Yes, and her ruthless ambition, it would appear, is is the main critical feature here. Yeah, uh, she's accused of basically knocking off all of the possible
0: heirs to Augustus who have some sort of blood relationship to Augustus. Yeah, and that again comes through from the ancient material as well. It's not completely invented. I mean, Robert Graves, the guy who wrote the novel that this is based on, he was actually a classicist. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to like, Turn to our our second
0: focal point. I have something to say. take the TV away from me. Wait for it. Wait for it. Where? Because our our, our second question is where did Robert Graves get his material? Mm. Well, I think the, the 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 thing that interested me the most is that Robert Graves was a classicist of note. Yeah, and, but he did also write a lot of novels during his lifetime. Um, he actually wrote 120 novels. and he What? Wrote, yeah, he wrote... I, Claudius has actually become one of his better-known ones nowadays, obviously. It's a bit like Alec Guinness being remembered for playing Obi-Wan in Star Wars, though, because I don't think he, that was the plan. <laughs> I think it... From what I can gather, he actually wrote I, Claudius because he was basically a bit cash poor and he just dashed it off very quickly, not really expecting it to be, you know, this smash success sort of thing. He just needed the money.
1: Oh, I think it's (laughs) even better than that. I (laughs) came across a really interesting story when I was researching this aspect. Apparently Graves uh, was visited by Claudius in a dream and and Claudius (laughs) demanded that his real story be told. So I, Claudius, and the uh, sequel claudius the god which comes out a year later yeah uh are considered to be uh, the voice of claudius as determined by this dream <laughs> uh, graves obliges I'm a, cynical.
0: I'm a little bit cynical i don't
1: well, i don't i wouldn't <laughs> recommend cynicism i think that's <laughs> fascinating uh this element of claudius speaking from the
0: grave well i know that graves was attracted to claudius as the figure um as listeners who've listened to our past episodes about Claudius might um, might expect, Claudius was always kind of an overlooked figure in the imperial family in real life and I think Graves probably did feel a bit of an affinity for him um, as a historian. I mean we know that Claudius wrote historical works and yet none survived, not a single word. And so to take Claudius and make him your narrator, it makes sense given what we know about the Imperial family and who would have had the time to lull about the palace writing all these things down. <laughs> Quite simply, only one person, C-c-c-c- Claudius. <laughs>
1: Well, and there's a good reason why he has the time to be a historian, yeah, and to also to try and produce his own autobiography in eight books, also now lost, yeah, um, yeah. And that's because when he was born, he seems to have had some not easily identifiable identifiable medical ailments, yeah. And we're not really sure. We know he walked with a limp. He's considered to kind of stammer or some sort yeah, of yeah, some impediment. sort of speech impediment, yeah, yeah. and. I think today a lot of people would assume that that would be some sort of slight form of cerebral palsy sure yeah um, but we
0: don't really know no the- and and our sources also seem to indicate that perhaps he particularly as he became an adult obviously that he perhaps exaggerated it <laughs> so that he would be so that he would actually seem more of the fool and overlooked by his family and therefore not being assassinated <laughs> Yeah, so one of his tutors uh, Mm.
1: was the writer and uh, law um, advocate, Asinius Polo, Mm. and he is credited with having suggested to Claudius that the best thing that he could do, given the family political situation, is to pretend to be dumber than he is. Yes, yes. And And we saw it with Brutus as well, didn't we?
0: Yeah, and this is
1: the sort of thing that would work quite well in the ancient Roman world, precisely because, from their perspective physical characteristics determined internal characteristics yeah so claudius's manifestation of physical ailments and difficulty with speech are obviously a sign to everybody around him that there are issues inside yeah
0: it's basically bad luck if you were beaten with the ugly stick
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: not the sort of thing that would that would be acceptable no good no No, it's horrible it's horrible
1: yeah um but it bespoke in the roman world a tainted character precisely yeah now like look don't put him into any office that didn't mm. give him any sort of low level positions yeah. they're like look and so he ha- consequently has lots of free time yeah he does a lot of writing none of which survive crazy and then appears <laughs> to robert graves in a dream
0: he yeah. says i need my truth to be told i'm not a fool or graves hears this cha-ching <laughs> You decide, listeners. You decide. It's quite possible.
1: (laughs) Robert Graves was coming off the back of just having translated the whole of Suetonius' Lives of the Twelve Caesars. Ah,
0: there you go. So he had just done some juicy work. This is the criticism that um, I think was thrown at him a lot at the time when he released it was that, A lot of people were scoffing that he'd really just taken Suetonius and Tacitus, smooshed them together and come out with this version of things because they seem to be so heavily based on the ancient sources. So much so that when he released Claudius the god, um, I believe he had to write uh, a new preface where he actually talked about the other sources that he used apart from Tacitus and Suetonius. Guys, guys, there's original content in here. (laughs) I I used uh, this coin. This coin spoke to me.
1: (laughs) Well, as far as the narratorship of I, Claudius goes, Mm. Claudius argues that Augustus has this tragic loss of heirs over the course of his rule. Mm. So uh, Marcellus dies, Mm -hmm. uh, the first wife of Uh, Augustus's daughter, Julia. Yeah, the first Uh, husband, you mean. The first husband, yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Um, The second husband, Marcus Mm. Agrippa, dies. Yeah, yeah. And... Gaius and Lucius Caesar, Julia's children, Julia's children by Marcus Agrippa, Mm. are also done away with, Mm -hmm. it would seem. (laughs) Claudius (laughs)
0: argues specifically that these deaths are no mere tragedies. And this comes down to the fact, I suppose, that rather unusually, especially considering all the moral legislation that Augustus introduces regarding women and their fertility and all that kind of thing. which basically meant that you got benefits if you had a certain amount of children. He and Livia never have any children. And they're married for a really long amount of time. And we know that they're both capable of having children with other partners. Um, it's it's a really unusual situation between the two of them. And they do have a
1: successful pregnancy that goes to term. True. They lose but an infant baby. quite yeah. early on. So yeah.
0: there is that tragedy as well. Yeah. And I guess the idea is that, therefore because they have no child focus on of their own, that's a mutual child, that Livia, of course, being a woman, <laughs> schemes for her own children to of succeed. Of course. <laughs> so all of these deaths of
1: Augustus' legitimate heirs are the result, Claudius argues, of Livia's machinations. Mm. Her sole aim as a woman and a mother uh, <laughs> is that her firstborn child, Tiberius, uh, should succeed Augustus. My
0: favourite. <laughs> <Queen>. Okay. <laughs>
1: mm. So I think this leads us very nicely into our third section for consideration in this episode this is tacitus and suetonius's
0: version of Livy. well <laughs> like um the whole story like yeah. what
1: is the whole story we know that mm. she comes out pretty badly in tacitus's annals true but she doesn't come out so badly in our other source material
0: i think in dio i mean there, there is a little bit of that in dio because it's, it's in dio we get some of these stories about you know um Livia going to the huge lengths to poison Augustus like for example poisoning the figs because she knows that Augustus likes to stroll amongst this particular fig tree and just have a snack so on the off chance that he might reach up and grab a poisoned fig, she poisons all the figs um and it, there's definitely this idea that that Livia is the like the real power in Augustus and Tiberius's life that she has a huge partnership so it I agree I think it definitely comes out of um of sources like Tacitus but I think there's also Elements of that in other sources as well.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, I would say that Tacitus is even more ambiguous than perhaps Graves gives credit to. True. Yeah. And so in the opening of Tacitus's Annals mm. in book one, uh, he describes how uh, Agrippa dies. Yeah. Um, an untimely fate, to quote from the source material, or the treachery
0: of their stepmother, Livia. Yeah. Um, who cuts off both Lucius and Gaius Caesar. And Agrippa is the last child of Julia, Augustus' daughter, and her husband, Agrippa, who had been Augustus' very close friend. Oh, so, yeah, so,
1: yeah, um, Agrippa posthumous. Yes. Um, But I think in this case she's talking about Agrippa, the husband. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, my mistake. No, 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 no. all fine, all fine. Um, So, but even in this opening, Tacitus posits Livia's involvement as a possible
0: Yes. It's an, all the treachery of their stepmother. Yeah, and that's exactly how... Um, that that Tassas likes to play things he always has that sort of sneaky aside he's not coming right out and accusing her of doing it he's just suggesting it because he knows it's like a lawyer it's always like a lawyer I think of in those courtroom dramas where they say something really controversial like oh were you and the judge says strike that from the record he says it's so stricken but the jury's already heard the evidence and it's too late they're prejudiced now
1: (laughs) I will push the point further yeah okay yeah Allow me. Okay, uh, so please. we. So Olivia dies fairly early on in Tacitus's account. Yes, because um, Tacitus really starts. With like a sort of backstory of Augustus And it goes in Tiberius Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiberius is the main focal point yeah. You'd be pleased to know I am very pleased <laughs> um, So she dies at an extremely old age mm-hmm. um, According to Cassius, She's around about 86 mm, So for somebody Augustus around
0: for his money yeah. Wow,
1: somebody who's politically ambitious And knocked off everybody Seems to have survived pretty well Suspicious Suspicious <laughs> um, She's not eating the figs, she? <laughs> but um, he talks about her domestic virtue.
0: Mm. Her
1: virtue was of the old school. Mm. Her affability went further than was approved by women of the older world. Ooh. Yeah. So she's, she's more open and, uh, sort of welcoming than perhaps some of the old Republican matroni, which I think is a, an interesting half compliment. It is. <laughs> an
0: imperious mother. Not a compliment. No. An accommodating wife. Oh, compliment, compliment. See, I I actually don't know if Imperious mother is meant to be a bad thing because Roman mothers aren't meant to be all fuzzy wuzzy. (laughs) True that. Yes, I agree. Yeah, Yeah. sono d'accordo.
1: Yeah, Um, and
0: an excellent
1: match for the subtleties of her husband.
0: Yeah, because Augustus is kind of the master manipulator. I mean, being the first princeps slash emperor of Rome, no mean feat, you know, to, to to live as long as he did and outmaneuver everybody else. You'd have to think that Livy is keeping a pace with him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think to myself, well, you know,
1: if... She's keeping a pace with her husband. Yeah. I think some of the accusations that are leveled at her mm. that come out of the I, Claudius version, yes. that she's this sort of demonic,
0: yeah. uh, murderous presence in the imperial court, yeah. that you're just not giving Augustus enough credit. No, as I said, I think it comes across as she's so dominating. And she, and she talk even when, even when Augustus is dying, she says, um, she remarks that she does this for Rome. Like it it is almost like she is the ruler because it's not it's not just for her own personal gain, it's for the well-being of Rome. And I think in a sense this actually also comes out of the timing of the novel and and then the later T V series. Rome has often been used as this metaphor to speak about empire and the fate of empires when things get out of hand. And a sure sign, when you know particularly after Graves, when Graves was writing his novel, of things getting out of hand is for a woman to be in power where a man should be.
1: Yes, and so I mean the novels are coming out in the 30s yes. and so yes. you've got this really sort of blowback against first wave feminism and then when I, Claudia's TV series emerges in the 70s you've got this real blowback against second wave feminism Yeah, Livia gets to embody all of the negative projections of yeah. what happens when a woman is at the locus of power
0: And it's always the case in, in, in both the novel and the TV TV series I think that female power depends on men being weak Like, it can't be that you have a strong man and a strong woman. Heaven forbid. It has to be one or the other. They're not ruling
1: together. (laughs) One of them's got the upper hand. (laughs) And in this case, it's definitely Livia. Claudius wouldn't have killed his own children, so it must have been her. And she's uh, smiling in the corner being like, eat another fig, darling. (laughs) Yum, yum. (laughs) (laughs) So... Is this the whole story of Livia, Tacitus' version, Robert Graves' version? Mm. Oh, God, no. Definitely not. No. Stay tuned <laughs> for when we
0: revisit her at a later date.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. um, to pick up this question, yeah. is this the whole story of Livia? Yeah. Uh, the answer is, I think we both agree, definitely no. no. Um, so, she, we need to backtrack into her story a little bit, Yeah, I think, for this. Um, she is the daughter of Marcus Livius Drusus
0: Claudianus. Well, now that's a familiar name, as <laughs> in, as in, as in. <laughs> sure, it is. Yeah, as in the Claudian part. For those of you who've been following our early Republican episodes, we've we have been mentioning people from you know the ancient claudian clan quite a bit actually most particularly (laughs) Appius claudius he's a real hard ass (laughs) quite frankly yes (laughs) so we've
1: got this legacy of the patrician claudia yeah this major long um prestigious gens of rome all the way back to the founding baby all the way back (laughs) and and that's where livia comes from and and her mother is a woman called alphidia Now we know from the name that she must be the daughter of an Italian magistrate, Ooh. not Roman. Italian. Interesting. Interesting. So I've written in brackets nothing special here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it may have been a love match, perhaps. Um
0: we don't know, do we?
1: Yeah, mm. but importantly, because uh, her father's name is Claudianus. Yes. We also know that he's adopted into the Claudii Gens. Yes, true. Yeah, yeah. And he was actually born Appius Claudius
0: Puka. Ooh. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I, I felt like you were going to answer that. I was like, wait a minute. Is that
1: what I read in my Or All right. Appius was adopted as an infant by Marcus Livius Drusus. Right, yeah. The tribune of 91 BCE. Gosh, sure, okay. And okay. it's through this mechanism that Livia carries the descent and prestige of both the
0: Livii gens yes. and the Claudii. Yeah, pretty prestigious on both sides, in other words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately for her, um, it seems like she has a... Well, not she, but her family... Keeps picking the wrong side in some of the conflicts that happened during the first century BC. Yeah, look, a bit unfortunate, really. So, Olivia's
1: married to, first of all, to a guy called Tiberius Claudius Nero. Mm. Keeping it in the family. I was going to
0: say, that just sounds way too close. (laughs) (laughs) Too close for comfort.
1: (laughs) Now, Tiberius Nero, interesting figure, a bit luckless in his political choices. Yeah. Um, He's part of the Optimates political faction. The traditional conservatives in the Senate. Mm. And he also goes on to support Mark Antony at the Battle of Philippi. He just can't catch a break. <laughs> Both of these are bad political decisions. The Optimates lose, Antony loses. Um, so and didn't I'm... her father
0: also back like the assassins of Caesar <laughs> or something? Like... Maybe. I haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't gone down that path. I thought it was
1: bad enough that the husband was implicated.
0: <laughs> I think her father actually had to commit suicide after being oh, on the wrong side. Yeah. yeah, so she hasn't been... Uh, her male relatives are perhaps mo- not as astute politically as one might hope. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. So
1: Livia's is smarter than her male relatives. Indeed. Hello. <laughs> so her husband, Tiberius Nero, is eventually exiled from Rome for being on the wrong side of politics. Yeah. Fair enough. And Livia, as the dutiful wife, follows her husband into exile. And they go and live in Greece for a while. Yeah. They get to come back mm-hmm. to Rome in 39 BC. Yeah. Super exciting. They're bringing <laughs> along their toddler. Tiberius little
0: Tiberius that's
1: <laughs> <Yeah>, so cute he's <laughs> only like three <laughs> um, he was born in 42 mm-hmm. and she falls pregnant in around about 38, 37 yep with um, her second child with her second child mm. and it's while she is heavily pregnant about six months wait, wait, wait. She... <laughs>
0: across a crowded room he sees her her rounded belly mm. speaks to him that's I'm her... talking about Augustus of course <laughs>
1: She and uh, her husband, Aniris yeah. Nero, go to a dinner party. Mm. She's like, you know what else I can fit in? <laughs> she locks gazes with a young upstart uh, man, mm. uh, Octavian. Also married.
0: Also married. Also married. married.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also married. Yeah. They wander off for a while. Oh. And uh, when they come back, her ears are red. <laughs> Well, if that doesn't scream adultery, I don't know what does. Yeah. So apparently Octavian's wife at the time, Scribonia, demands a divorce. Um, she's like, well, I'm
0: not putting up with that. I've heard she was a bit shrewish. <laughs> no great loss anyway. Yes, well, yeah. um, by all all accounts, if you mm. believe
1: Tacitus, yeah. Olivia is far more the shrew. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, Octavian seems to be into that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> As a type.
0: they are married by like... Mid-January. <laughs> it's very quick. And while think, she's still pregnant. Yeah, I was going to say, she's still pregnant. And in most of our sources, I think Augustus divorces his existing wife like the day after she gives birth or very, very soon after.
1: It is a
0: challenging time
1: yes. to be a pregnant lady in Rome. <laughs> what a right. yes. year. Um, so anyway, I think this speaks to what is perhaps the passionate... Uh, love at first sight lust at first sight yeah. that, that occurs between these two because nobody in their right mind um, seduces somebody else's wife when they're 6 months pregnant at a dinner party it just it doesn't really occur to you no, and
0: like, i would think as a rational human we've talked before about how ancient roman men are allowed to fool around you know with other people's as fooling uh, around with, with, other, with other women but you don't do it with a married patrician lady <laughs> that just doesn't happen <laughs> So, it's. I'm glad for, this, for their sakes that it worked out. But it's obviously a strong attraction. Yes. Yeah, to violate those sort of social codes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And everybody, even at the time, everybody yeah.
0: agrees. So They're in love, man. Yeah. So, according, <laughs>
1: according to Suetonius, Suetonius uh, appears, or at least claims, to have gotten his hands on some of the personal correspondence between Mark Antony and Octavian before they had a personal falling out. Ooh. And even Mark Antony is like, dude. I'm so happy for you, man. <laughs> High five. Not even that. Yeah. And I quote um, yeah. When he had not yet wholly broken from him privately or publicly, mm-hmm. Antony writes to Octavian. And he's like, What has made such a change in you? Because I lie with a queen? Are you jealous of this Cleopatra stuff? She is my wife. Am I just beginning this or was it nine years ago? Like a sly reference to like, well, I was there when Caesar first met her too, you know. I was going to say, yeah. What then (laughs) of you? Flashback. Yeah. Do you lie only with Drusilla? Good luck to you. If when you have read this letter, you have not been with Tertullia or Tarantilla or Rufilia (laughs) or Sevilia Ticentia, or all of them. Does it matter where or with whom you take your pleasure? (laughs) And I was like, Wow. Okay,
0: Anthony. <laughs>
1: Anthony, I thought you were a player. Yes, right.
0: It's kind of your reputation in case you don't realise. You become known as the lover.
1: <laughs> um, but actually he seems to think that Octavian is far more of the player. Well,
0: we definitely get that that coming through, but I think the thing is, it's yeah, even if that is the case, even after he takes up with Livia or whatever, because um, they are married for a really long time, there's definitely that sense from some of the comments that are made in the sources that there's a genuine you know, long-lasting, passionate bond between these two. I mean, to to stay married when you seemingly can't have a, a living child, again, it's really unusual. It you is. Know, like, in Rome, marriage is not about love. Marriage is about politics and alliances and and continuing that next generation. And if you can't do that, then move on. There are plenty of other women you could shack up with.
1: Yeah, and this is part of the reason why I find that the I Claudius version of Livia is just not doing her justice. Yeah. Um, these two
0: embark upon a really specific moral reform program once the dust settles on the civil war business. Sure, and Octavian is the sorry, Octavian slash Augustus is the last man left standing after Antony shuffles off. <laughs>
1: He shuffles off this mortal coil. Onto his sword. Ouch, <laughs> ouch. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> um, after that moment, yeah. they embark upon this massive cultural reform program, mm. seeking, if you like, to make Rome great again. Yes. And Where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> there's this focus on nostalgia and a revival of and I use Flesh Rabbit's virtues Mm. that were believed to be quintessential to the Roman Republic yes so So for women that means behaving yourself (laughs) yeah so and Livia plays this role to the hilt Um, she encourages other matronae to follow her virtuous example Mm. so this includes practicing austerity yep weaving cloth yeah, that um, she's going to make
0: into clothes for Augustus yeah so she produces the fabric that and makes the clothes that he wears yes, in so public. people can say "Why, well, Augustus I love your toga today why well, thank you my wife made it no get out of town yes yeah so
1: this is like the 1950s equivalent of like who washes your
0: shirts my wife yes. Maya she starches a nice white stiff collar <laughs> have
1: you seen how white it is Yeah. <laughs> And she also actively turns a blind eye to Octavian's wandering gaze. Totally, yeah. And she knows about it. It's pretty clear. She's astute <laughs> yeah. enough to know. Yeah. Um, when you're seduced, well, like heavily pregnant, in, at, a, at a party. She are out he's not
0: going to be faithful to you.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you think to yourself, wow. Um, but she sees it as her duty to focus on her own chaste example mm. to other
0: women. And I've actually heard that, I've heard some people talk about the fact that perhaps one of the reasons why these two don't get divorced is that Augustus uses Livia to be his, you know, it, things have changed drastically now that you've got one guy ostensibly, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll be behind the scenes, in charge of things. If you're setting up an imperial family, like where you want to actually have a dynasty established here, then that means that all of a sudden women have a much more important role than they previously have had. And Livia has to be his partner in that, and so he has to build her up. And if we forget about the written sources for a moment and look at, you know, the statuary and the coinage and all that kind of stuff, it tells us a different story and it tells about how Livia could be used as an icon of sorts. You know,
1: yeah, and this is also. a more positive way, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> and it's definitely supplemented by the focus on the legal changes in Livia's and, to a lesser extent, Octavia's status. Yes. Uh, in yes. this period of time, where they're given a whole bunch of privileges yeah. that go well beyond anything that women Completely. under Roman law have had before. For sure, yeah. And, and so Livia Liv even racks up something that she doesn't really deserve. <laughs> 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 and we get to this point where the only sticking point really for Livia's union with Augustus is this inability ultimately to bear legitimate children. And this is where the scandal comes
0: from, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. and
1: and this is where you have an in to that sort of really critical tradition that because she can't have her own children yeah. with with Augustus, that she goes
0: about... Pedantically and systematically destroying every child that has any blood connection to him. Admittedly, I guess at first glance you think to yourself, well, yes, obviously Augustus had a really unlucky run with heirs. They just kept dying. Um, This is true. (laughs) But the other thing to remember is that Augustus and Livia both lived to be really old by ancient world standards so it kind of also stands to reason on the flip side that you are going to outlive a lot of your family even younger family if you live to be you know in your 80s that's that's unheard of that's crazy in fact i actually remember someone telling me the other day that as far as we can tell according to like written records augustus and livia must be one of the oldest couples on record yeah, because, you, you know, as in they both lived to be so old um, really? from, this, from this period. Yeah, it's just, it just doesn't happen that we have records of this kind of thing at this period. Mm, fascinating. I'm sure other people did, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all about the documentation, Dr.
1: Yes, Ray. yes. <laughs> Do we have the evidence? Exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, Turns out, no. Uh, All right, so this leads us to our final section for this episode. Mm. Um, The question of where does Livia fit into the broader narrative
0: of Rome? Mm. And I'm
1: interested in your perspective. Okay. What's her legacy? Um, What do you take away from the details? Okay, wait for it. I'm going to hit
0: you with something. (laughs) Not your fist. No. (laughs) No, that was yesterday. Okay, so for me, Livia is actually she invokes actually some well i mean what are meant to be older tropes in terms of we've talked about this before we looked at some of the kings of rome the idea of a woman behind the scenes um managing things so that certain men will succeed to power and certain men will not we looked at that with servius tullius and how i, I find the story of tiberius coming to power after augustus is dead very similar to that and then I feel like the story of how Agrippina stage manages Nero's accession according to our written sources is very similar again so I almost think like Livia is a device whether it's she's being used by Augustus whether she's being used by Tiberius to promote this sort of you know whatever image they want to they want to promote whether it's republican virtues or you know the, the imperial dynasty but in the written sources she is the manipulating female who's suddenly been allowed to have a voice, you know, a, a role in the political um, in the political realm, which she shouldn't have because of this new system that's been set up. That's just my that's just my thing. Okay, yeah. so you're
1: suggesting that there's a real conflict between what she actually was granted historically, yeah. and the way that literary sources want to navigate the role of women.
0: Well, this is just it. I almost feel like, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a little bit but I f- I feel like. Sh- the real Livia is is out of reach because whatever we have, it's, it's a production by men. Whether it's Robert Graves, whether it's Augustus and Tiberius on the coins and the statues, or whether it's Tacitus and Suetonius and Dio in the written sources, they're all using her. And I, it, it's so hard to get a real glimpse of who she really was, apart from the fact that I feel like she must have been pretty wily to, you know... So keep up with all these men around her, like she Augustus. survives. And yeah. I think
1: I think this is a key f- yeah. factor yeah. is that she isn't killed off. nope She isn't sent into exile. Nope. And to me She's not those, disgraced. Yeah, yeah, those two things are super important. Yeah. Because if Augustus saw Livia as a political rival yes. rather than a political ally. Yeah. He would have got rid of her in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think for a minute that he's got the sort of emotional wallowing no. to be like, oh, but I love her. Yes. To have not gone through with the exile that, that that her actions, if they had been of such a treacherous yeah. nature, would have demanded. This is a guy who had the name of, like, Butcher Boy when he was in his teens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, I yeah. just I just don't believe it. No. Um, that he would have this particular weakness in yeah. regards to Livia. Yeah. It's clear that they are working together. Mm. It's clear that they adore... Each other, yep. but I think if he thought she was trying to undermine him, mm. he would also eliminate her.
0: Right. He would yeah. hate
1: himself for a moment, but he would do it.
0: Yeah. So what do you think her legacy is then in your in your opinion?
1: I think it's there are a couple of features. Yeah. I think it's dangerous the way that she's represented in the literary sources because mm. she falls into that political trope of political invective against the man Powerful in power. Man. Yeah. So it's a pretty clear trope that happens a lot in Roman literature, yep. um, particularly in the historiographical sources, where diminishing a man's public career by attributing him to having some sort of weakness associated with women yep. is an insinuation that he's actually controlled
0: by them. Well, that's it. it all comes down to control, isn't it? I mean, like with yep. Claudius himself, you know, in the actual sources about the emperor, as we've discussed, he's, he's weak on two counts because he, he is controlled by freedmen and women two groups who should never have any political power
1: exactly and women historically up until this moment in roman history Mm. have in the literary sources really been focused on the private nature of their role yes and when they tend to come into the public record they're usually openly criticized
0: for having done so yeah and i mean it's not like women have never been it's not like men have never been attacked um, via their female relatives, so like you know, women you know having sex with the wrong person or disgracing themselves or running around mad or whatever like that's that's not new to this period. But I think the fact that Olivia and Augustus are just on another scale. Like now that, again, it, it ramps everything up when you've got an imperial family, um, and it, it changes the, the the nature of it. It makes it it makes it something different.
1: Yeah, and yeah. they're always going to have a slight sense of the mystical about them as well mm. because they achieve. The thing that is going to be the legacy of Rome, which is this transition point from republic to empire. Yeah, Augustus's principate is this pivotal moment of a
0: shift in the way Rome fundamentally operates. Absolutely, and it's and it is. I mean, in a sense, there is also that reality that sure, women actually do have more access to power now. Like that's a, that is true, and Livia certainly is one of those people. I mean, we've talked about Augustus, you know, a number of times in terms of how he. You know, his achievements are off the scale and he's never really equaled um, in terms of how the Romans, you know, tend to look, you know, look at emperors and that sort of thing. And his legacy is is amazing in that sense. And Livia, I feel like, is kind of his female counterpart in that respect as well, because the honours that she gets, I mean, they're what every other woman after her will aspire to, you know being you know becoming the Augusta, you know, and becoming, you know, a priestess of, of Augustus's cult, you know, like the, the prestige that she accumulates, the fact that they try and call her mother of mother of the her country, the you know, has this story about them suggesting that um, after Augustus is dead, that Tiberius be named after Livia. Like all these sorts of stories, which you know, it's crazy for a woman. Crazy <laughs> to have that kind of prominence.
1: Yeah, and I think in that sense, what she marks out, what she stakes out for herself is a position in the evolution of the role of women. Yes. Uh, and it continues to develop as the Prince of It emerges into the empire. True, yes, absolutely. Um, but she becomes the sort of the lightning rod that every other woman in the public sphere from this point onwards measures herself by.
0: Exactly. I mean, I think obviously there are women who come later once the yeah, the empire is much more established and this whole system is much more established who you know, could be said obviously to wield similar influence and that sort of thing. But for Livia at that point in time to occupy that kind of role, that's the... That's the thing. That's the kicker. Yeah, exactly. It's one small step for woman, <laughs> One great leap for womankind. Indeed. And I suppose in a sense, although we might not like the evil, <laughs> demonic sort of side to Graves' Livia in I, Claudius, the novel and um, the TV series, at least it does acknowledge that Livia has got that political nous. You know, she's not stupid. She is an imperious terrifying presence. <laughs> um, and, and she certainly can run rings around anybody else on that you know, in that family, which I feel like there is a little bit of that <laughs> that I get the sense of in the ancient sources from Livia. Like she must have been able to hold her own against anyone else.
1: There's some fear. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we're pretty much, I think we can wrap this up. Nice to talk to you again. A pleasure as always. (laughs) Oh man, (laughs) you (laughs) went in every time.